0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. For those of you who haven't had the chance to meet me yet, my name is Chris Rowley, and I get to serve as the director of Bridges and also one of the elders here at Calvary. And it's always exciting for me to have the opportunity to open up the Bible with you and see what God's Word has to say for us. So why don't, why don't I pray? And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, you can open it up to Luke chapter 2. If you've got a, a smartphone or something like that, feel free to to go to Luke chapter 2. And if you're a visitor and you're here with us, maybe for the first time, uh, just checking us out, we're really grateful that, that you're here this morning, and uh, we do look forward to getting to know you more and growing with you together in what God has for us this morning. So let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that we can open up your word. Um, this morning, I was just amazed that, that it was almost the end of 2021. <laughs> been faithful throughout it, and we're asking you for the Holy Spirit just to move among us this morning as we open up the Bible and are challenged by your word, desiring to learn what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had that experience? I know we just finished Christmas yesterday. Have you ever had that Christmas experience where you thought that all the presents were opened? and you're all sitting around the Christmas tree, maybe with friends or family, but you discover that there was one more present. Maybe it was like under some wrapping paper. Maybe it was behind the back of the Christmas tree. Maybe sometimes someone keeps one present hidden for the very end because that's the most special present. I think a a year ago, I think it was last year, Kelly came out to me in February. She found a Christmas present that she meant to give to me in December, and she gave it to me in February. It's always exciting to find that there's one more Christmas present, right? Some of you today might even get another Christmas present. Well, we've been tracking through the story of Christmas, and we've been looking at the story of Jesus' birth through lots of different perspectives, and today we're going to see two more perspectives on Jesus. We're going to kind of close up this, this series where we've been looking at the birth of Jesus. And I think that what we're going to read today is kind of like that one extra Christmas present. You thought it was all done. You thought it was over, but there's one more. I think that what we've got today is really special. We've seen the perspective of Elizabeth. We've seen the perspective of King Herod on Jesus. And we've even heard the perspective of the angels on the birth of Jesus. And now, it's the day after Christmas for us, and most of the presents have been opened. I think that most of the eggnog has probably been drunk already. People have been visited. Friends have been seen. Carols have been sung. Lights have been hung. All of your little manger scenes, I hope in your houses, have little baby Jesus in them now, right? Because he was born. And maybe some of you this morning, you're just feeling that, post-Christmas letdown. Anybody there? Yeah. Some of you are glad that Christmas has passed. Some of you might feel a little bit sad, particularly if you're under 12 years old. (laughs) Some of you are just tired. Anybody tired? Okay, that's everybody. (laughs) Here we are on the day after Christmas, and there's one more present to unwrap there's one more story to tell about the story of Jesus. There's actually two more perspectives on who this child is. So what's the last gift that we get to unwrap? I already told you, it's in Luke chapter two. You can open up your Bibles to the 22nd verse of Luke chapter two. And this incredible present is the historical record of something that happened about 40 some odd days after the birth of Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 2. I don't know if any of you remember like a memorable road trip that you've had with your family. Anybody had some memorable road trips with your family? Maybe as a child, maybe with your your own children, gone on a road trip. Today we're going to see the first road trip that Jesus went on. The first road trip of the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They went on a road trip that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 2. And they went to Jerusalem. So let's read the scripture Starting in verse 22, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Some of you read that and you're like, wait, I don't get how that's part of the Christmas story. Turtle doves, pigeons. To, to make sense of this, we've got to understand the, the, the world that Jesus was born into. Jesus was born into a highly religious Jewish family that took the law of God very seriously. He was born into a culture that was full of all these very specific rules and rituals that newborn children were supposed to go through. And we see Jesus' parents, like good Jewish parents, are doing for Jesus, bringing him to Jerusalem, what every good Jewish parent would do. The trip to Jerusalem from where they were would have been about six miles. And to get your head around that, that is exactly the distance between where you're sitting right now and the campus of the University of Bridgeport. Okay? Six miles. They're going on this road trip. 41 days after Jesus is born, because Mary would have been purified for 33 days after Jesus was circumcised. So we're like 41 days. Imagine a six-week-old little baby Jesus taking this road trip with his mom and his dad, and they're going there to offer sacrifices to God, to present their child to God. This is what Jewish families did. They would bring their child to Jerusalem to present them to God. God, this is your child, and that's what Mary and Joseph are doing. There's something interesting too that we can learn about the family from verse 24. The scripture says that they offered this sacrifice of two young pigeons. We can tell from this that Jesus' family was probably a poor family because everybody who could afford to offer a sacrifice of a lamb would do that. But there was a provision in the law of Moses for families that could not afford to buy a lamb for the sacrifice that they could offer turtle doves or pigeons as a sacrifice. Jesus, the son of God, was born into poverty. Why does that matter? Well, it it could be a sermon in and of itself, right? Right? that the son of God was born into poverty, but Jesus throughout his lifetime has this close association with the poor. He brought the good news for the poor and he himself was poor. This is an incredible example of what real incarnational ministry looks like. Jesus became like the people that he came to save. Jesus was not some Yale-educated, elite little kid whose dad managed hedge funds. Jesus was born into poverty. His dad, his dad was a tekton. That's the Greek word for, for someone who's just a common laborer, someone who works with their hands. Jesus, the son of God was born into poverty. Doesn't that show the massive humility of Jesus that he would do that for us? I love who Jesus is. This is who he is. There's nobody like him. So I want to introduce you now to a really important and special man. And we see this man and we meet him in verse 25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Have you ever waited a really long time for some comfort? I remember several years ago now, going through a very, very intense season of anxiety I can remember sitting on the floor of my kitchen. Now, I don't usually sit on the floor of my kitchen, but I think I was sitting on the floor of my kitchen, and I think I was actually stretching to get ready to go for a run, which, by the way, this is bonus advice. If you're dealing with anxiety, going for a run is a great idea. But I can remember sitting there on the the floor of my kitchen just feeling that intense darkness and heaviness and longing and wondering, is this season ever going to end? When am I going to get some comfort? When am I going to feel some peace? Anybody who's gone through a season like that, maybe a season of depression, a season of chronic pain, a season of sickness. During those difficult seasons, what is it that our heart is yearning for the most? Comfort. Comfort, right? And now we see this man, Simeon, he's waiting, verse 25, he's waiting for the comfort of Israel. The Bible uses that word consolation. Consolation means comfort. Simeon is waiting for God to comfort his people. Israel, why would the Jewish people need God to comfort them? Well, remember their history. They had been carried off as exiles, prisoners of war. And then over like the next 150 years or so, they were gradually allowed to return back home to their homeland. But By the time we pick up the story with the birth of Jesus, they're living in their homeland. But they're under oppression from the Roman Empire now. It's a new regime that's over them. It's a new regime that's taxing them. It's a new group of rulers that's controlling their lives. And they're waiting. God, have you forgotten us? God, when will you comfort us? And we meet this man, Simeon, here. And Simeon is special because we get the sense that Simeon is actually like swimming in the Old Testament promises of God. You know how when you're swimming, if you're you're a decent swimmer or if you just know how to use the water the right way, all you have to do there is kind of lay there in the pool and the water itself actually holds you up. Well, we've got this guy, Simeon, that we're meeting this morning, and he's literally being held up by the promises of God. He knows that God has promised to comfort his people, and Simeon is waiting. You want to know what some of the promises are that Simeon would have had in his mind as he's going to the temple on this special day? Isaiah 51 verse 3, Simeon would have known that God promised comfort for Zion, comfort for all her waste places, joy and gladness, thanksgiving, and the voice of song. Simeon would have known that in Isaiah chapter 52, God promised that Jerusalem would break forth together in singing for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Or Simeon also would have known at the very end of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, God said, As one who comforts his mother, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted, Jerusalem. Simeon is swimming in the promises of the Old Testament, holding on to them, trusting that one day God is going to comfort his people. And Simeon also has this really special, unique promise that God has given him. We see this in verse 26. God told Simeon that Simeon was going to get to live until the Messiah was born. It's a really unique promise. And so, verse 27 Simeon gets led to the temple on the very day that Jesus, the Messiah, is brought into the temple by Mary and Joseph. Not a coincidence. And something really special happens here because Simeon is happy enough to die when he sees what happens. Have you ever had something happen to you that was so good that you were like, God, you can take me now? Have you ever had that experience? I think, uh, at least according to one uh, website that I Googled this week, the top five bucket list items are, are seeing the northern lights, hiking the Great Wall of China, writing a book, something else, <laughs> running a marathon. Imagine if you wrote a book about running a marathon on the Great Wall of China while seeing the northern lights. Imagine that deep feeling of, ah, oh, you can take me now, God. Well, I think the reality is that most people probably would just move on to number six through ten on the bucket list after they did the first five. My point is it's really hard for a human being to get to the point where where we feel so fulfilled and satisfied with God that we could just say, God, you can take me. I'm good. But something really special happens here in this story where Simeon gets the place, look at verse 29. Simeon gets the place where he can say to God, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I mean, Simeon must have come across something really, really good if he's able to say to God, okay, God, I'm content. I don't need anything else. Well, what was it? What was it that Simeon encountered? We see it in verse 28. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Why is Simeon satisfied with life? because he just met the author of life. Simeon sees salvation. If you see Jesus, you see salvation. That's our big idea today. If you see Jesus, you see salvation. Who is this baby that Simeon was holding, this 41-day-old little baby that Simeon's holding? We've been plugging away at the Christmas story. We've been trying to discover who exactly is this little child. Well, Simeon gives us a clue in verse 30 to 32. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon sees salvation. This is not an ordinary baby. Simeon says, this is God's salvation that God is preparing in the sight of everybody. This is not a secret. This is not a salvation that's just prepared for the Jewish people. This is a salvation for the world that's prepared in the sight of everybody. God is doing something special here. And he's not doing it in some little corner of the world where nobody's going to be able to see it. God is not preparing the salvation just for one little group of people. God is preparing a salvation that's for everybody. I bet in the last month you've been preparing a lot of Christmas gifts, right? And you've been doing it in secret. You've been hiding away in rooms and you've been hiding gifts and presents. You've not been doing that in the sight of everybody because You want to keep it a surprise. You want to keep it a secret. Well, the Bible says that God is preparing a salvation for this planet, the one that we live on, and he was not doing it in secret. God wanted this salvation to get out to all people. The big idea here is that this baby is salvation. Simeon is seeing and holding a salvation that is for all the people. Salvation from enemies... Salvation from sin. And if you're not familiar with the message of the Bible, you've got to read on in the Bible to discover why this child is the salvation of the world. But I've got to tell you all this. There might be someone here today, and God is working in your heart, and you're just feeling right now this deep awareness that you need salvation, you need a Savior. Maybe right now it's the, it's the day after Christmas and you're just sitting here and for some reason you're just so aware that there is this sin in your heart and you need forgiveness from God. Maybe you're trapped in lust or coveting or bitterness or anger or jealousy and you don't see any way out. There's a way out this morning. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And if you need forgiveness of your sin, I do want to encourage you to talk to someone here today. Whether it's me, whether it's the person that brought you, or a friend who knows Jesus, talk to someone today. We would love to make sure that you know that you can have forgiveness of your sin and peace with God. Simeon saw salvation. And you can too. Now, Simeon said something that caused Mary and Joseph to become amazed. Have you ever had someone tell you something about your child that amazed you? Have you ever been to a parent-teacher conference, and you go in there, and you sit down with a nice teacher, and the teacher tells you something, and you are shocked? I didn't expect that. I remember when I was a kid, I I dreaded parent-teacher conferences because I had carefully created this idea in my mom and dad's mind of what I was like in school. And the thought of them going into the classroom and learning something about me that I didn't tell them was terrifying. And I think I was a pretty good kid. Mary and Joseph here find out something pretty shocking about their child. They find out what their child is, actually like and who their child actually is and what their child has actually done. Mary and Joseph, they don't have a parent-teacher conference. They got a parent-prophet conference going on right here. And Mary and Joseph are amazed, the Bible says. They marvel at Simeon's words about Jesus. Look at verse 33. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Hey, there's a good chance that we are too comfortable with Jesus. If we can read verses 30 to 32 and not be shocked, Jesus' parents were. Verse 30 to 32 says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. If you can read verse 30 to 32 and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's great. God, God loves everybody. And move on and not be amazed, there's a good chance that we're either not understanding what it's saying in verse 30 to 32, or we've just been in the church too long, that this doesn't shock us anymore. But hey, I'm going to say, if something shocks Mary and Joseph, if something causes Mary and Joseph to be surprised and marvel and be amazed, I I think it would be good to look at that again. Don't you think? Mary and Joseph, don't forget where we're at in the story. Mary and Joseph, they had just given birth. Mary did most of the work, I'm sure. They had just given birth to a miraculously conceived child. They had been visited by a whole army of angels that showed up to say the the Savior of the world has been born. All of this has just happened. You would think at this point, Mary and Joseph... They can't be shocked by anything anymore. What could possibly amaze Mary and Joseph? What could possibly cause Mary and Joseph to marvel at this point in the story after all they've seen and experienced? Verse 30 to 32 is what made them marvel. That's why I want to look at it one more time. Let's take one more swing at this. Essentially, Simeon was telling them, Jesus is not just going to be salvation for the Jewish people. God wanted to invite all the nations into his plan. So who exactly are all these nations that are invited into the plan of God for salvation? Who were the nations? They were people that did not worship the same God as the Jews. They were people who had all different political affiliations In fact, they even worshipped their political leaders and offered sacrifices to them. All these nations it's talking about, these were people that had different sexual ethics than the Jews. They had different opinions about what kind of food you should or shouldn't eat. They used their money differently. They lived in different places. They spoke different languages and different dialects. Their skin had a different amount of melanin in them. They had different philosophies for how you run a home. Are you getting me? This is why Mary and Joseph were shocked. Because God might as well have said, hey, I'm going to bring salvation to people who live on another planet. Because that's just about how different the Jews and the Gentiles were. At that time, throughout history, also, it was the Gentile people who had oppressed God's people. It was the Gentiles now who were ruling over them. So God says in verse 33, the salvation plan, it's not just for Israel. It's also for the Gentiles. And we shouldn't be surprised one bit that Mary and Joseph marveled. At what was said, because God's glory, it says, was coming to Israel, but it was this glory, it was this light that was supposed to shine out into all the earth for all the nations. Imagine if you were the grand prize winner. Imagine if you got one of those phone calls. I know you get like 70 of them a day that say you've won a million dollars, but imagine if you got a real one that said, You're the grand prize winner of a million dollars. And you were excited, and then you found out, and your neighbor is also. You know that neighbor that drives you crazy? The one that that keeps you up at night? The one that does things that really irk you? The one that is so different than you? The one that throws wild parties and drives you crazy? Yeah, that neighbor also is the winner of a million dollars. How shocked would you feel? Well, God's not giving out a prize per se, but he is offering a salvation. And he's offering the salvation to the Jewish people, but he's offering this salvation to this whole group of people that are totally different than the Jews who are not expecting it and not even looking for it. You understand why Mary and Joseph are so shocked right now? Remember our big idea. You could probably say it with me at this point. If you see Jesus you see salvation. Salvation for all people, no matter who you are or where you're from on this planet. Let's move forward with some of Simeon's prophecy, because it kind of takes a a turn here. And Simeon gives some challenging words. Do you guys like the good news or the bad news first? Okay, so most uh, psychologists say that People prefer to receive the bad news first, but they prefer to give the good news first. You know what? I'm reading this, and I'm like, that, this is exactly what Simeon did. I wonder if Simeon had the choice, you know, giving the good news or the bad news first. But Simeon gets here, and he, he kind of sheds some light on, on a rocky road that's ahead for Mary and Joseph and for the Jewish people. There's a rough road ahead. Verse 34 Simeon tells us, or the Bible tells us, Simeon blesses them. And let's read verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's some trouble ahead. Next thought that I want you to think about this morning is this. You can't be Switzerland when it comes to Jesus. I'm not picking on Switzerland. I would love to visit Switzerland. Switzerland has a reputation for being neutral, right? If there's like a geopolitical conflict, Switzerland tries to stay right in the middle of it and not take sides, and that's fine for them. But it doesn't work with Jesus, There's not a neutrality. Let's unpack that a little bit. Verse 34, Simeon says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus will cause many to rise and many to fall. Why is that? Well, there's a a lot there we could unpack. But for this morning... Jesus will cause many to rise and fall because Jesus always brings humanity to a point of decision. Jesus always brings us to a point of decision. He always seems to do this. And Simeon is contrasting the two responses of people and how they will respond to Jesus with rising and falling. That word falling, it it literally means to be brought to the point of collapse, the word rising, it's the, word, the, the Greek word anastasis that we, that we use for the word resurrection. It's this important decision we're talking about. And the consequences will result in either falling or rising, depending on how we respond to Jesus. Whether or not you choose to follow Jesus, it's a choice of immense consequence. It's not like the choice of where we're going to go to lunch after church. It's not like the choice of whether or not to play Mario Kart or Minecraft or whether to buy a Toyota or a Honda. It's a choice of immense consequence. It's a choice between life and death, rising and falling, resurrection and collapse. Don't choose lightly. We can't be Switzerland when it comes to Jesus because Jesus always calls humans to a point of decision. And this is where we we run into some issues with the Christmas story, right? This is where the Christmas story gets a little bit uncomfortable because we, we begin to see that this child that has been born, this Jesus who was born on Christmas, is a king. And ultimately, every king asks, whose side are you on? Are you with me or are you against me? Jesus brings us to a point. Of decision, because the baby born at Christmas is the King of Kings. We don't have time to unpack this today, but there's a beautiful story that follows about a woman who is a prophetess. Her name is Anna. I want to encourage you to read it on your own. If I had time this morning, I would tell you about her faithfulness to God. The way that she prayed and fasted and waited for God to show up and save the day. If I had time, I would tell you about how Anna had waited for a super long time and how often God's people have to wait a long time for God's promises to be fulfilled. If I had a little more time, I would tell you about how when Anna saw Jesus, you know what she did? She went out and she spread the word, Anna became one of the very first recorded evangelists in the Bible as she spreads the word to everybody who will listen to her about this baby Jesus who has been born. If I had time, I would tell you all about that. But I don't have time. You're going to have to read it on your own. But the Bible does tell us in verse 36 to 38 that Anna, she had been waiting for the redemption of her people. And she knew when Jesus came, redemption had come. What do you got to remember today? This is what you got to remember. If you see Jesus, you see salvation. If you see Jesus, you see redemption. And I suspect this morning that there is someone, like I said earlier, who's in need of God's forgiveness. Maybe this morning your heart is feeling heavy from sin, You may feel trapped. You may feel like a slave to things that you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing. You don't feel like there's anyone to turn to. Turn to Jesus. Jesus loves you so much that he would come for you. And what Jesus is holding out to you right now is what you most need in this moment. The gift that Jesus is offering you is what you really need. Maybe, maybe because it's the day after Christmas, we can look with just a little more clarity on what our hearts actually need. Because maybe, maybe today you have a profound awareness that what you received yesterday can never fix what's broken on the inside. But Jesus offers the gift that we most need. Salvation, redemption. Redemption is when someone pays to buy something back. Redemption is when someone pays a price to get something back. Let me tell you the good news. There has been a price that has been paid for you and for me. The price is the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And although that price has already been paid, the gift has not yet been received by all of us. I mean, if someone ordered a gift for you, and they paid for it, and they had it shipped to your house, it would be crazy not to open the front door and pick up that little package with the smiley face on it And open that gift. A price has been paid for each one of us. Because Jesus loves us so much. He gave his own life as the payment for our sin. He's waiting for you to open that gift and receive it. There's no Switzerland with Jesus, though. And if you're feeling squirmy if you're squirmy in your seat right now and you just want this sermon to end, there's a good chance that you're the one who most needs to receive that gift that God wants to give you in love. When Simeon saw Jesus, he saw salvation. When Anna saw Jesus, she saw redemption. What about you? What do you see when you see Jesus? Maybe... For someone here this morning, for the very first time, you're seeing Jesus and you're seeing the salvation that you need. You should be so happy this morning that God is showing you clearly what you most need. If that's you today and you're feeling that stirring in your heart that I need God's salvation and redemption, I want to encourage you to take a step towards Jesus today to receive what he wants to give you. If you're watching this online with us, I want to encourage you to fill out the the little contact form online. You can also click the little blue uh, chat box and and give us your info. You can email Calvary at general at calvaryefc.com or you can call 203-268-3750. Someone from this church would love to share with you how you can have God's forgiveness. And and if you're sitting in this room this morning, and you're just so aware that, yeah, today is the day. I need God's forgiveness. I've been running from him too long. But today, when you're seeing Jesus, you're seeing the salvation that you need, I want to encourage you to talk to someone after this service. I'd be happy to talk with you, happy to pray with you, happy to help guide you in those first steps towards Jesus. And And maybe that's not all of us. Maybe some of you just have something heavy on your heart and you've trusted Jesus for salvation from your sins, but you're waiting. Like You need God to bring salvation from something else that you're going through in your life right now. And if you need prayer, I want to encourage you to pray with someone today. We'd be happy to pray with you after the service. You can grab someone, you can grab me. God loves you so much And just like Anna and Simeon waited for a long time, I understand that some of you are waiting for God to bring the salvation that you need in some specific part of your life. And I encourage you to find someone to pray with you. And finally, if the car's been in neutral for a long time, if you've been playing Switzerland for a long time with Jesus, can I encourage you to put the car in drive Move towards Jesus this morning. And as I wrap this up, two things for that group of people. If you've been in neutral, think to yourself, what is one step I can take towards Jesus this week? And who is one person who can help me take that step towards Jesus? I'm going to give us a chance to pray right now. And uh, I I actually don't know if the worship team's going to come up, but, oh, there they are. (laughs) And uh, as I pray, I want to encourage you to pray along with me. No matter what's going on in your heart, no matter what God is stirring in you this morning, we're going to pray for those who are needing to make a decision to follow Jesus and those with something heavy on our hearts, because God loves you enough to send Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the true story that is Christmas, that is sometimes hard to believe because it just seems too good to be true. Thank you for coming here, Jesus. And God, I I can imagine there's someone here this morning sitting here with us in this room or someone who's tuning in online who... For the very first time in their life, they're seeing Jesus and they're seeing salvation. And they know that they need the salvation that Jesus came to bring. God, I pray that in addition to opening their hearts to seeing their need for salvation, that you would give them the courage to reach out to someone. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you and trust in you. To give them the forgiveness that they need and the peace with God that they so desperately need today. And Lord, there's others here who are walking through something that is difficult and they need another type of salvation. Lord, they've trusted you to save them from their sin, they've trusted you for eternal life and peace with God. But right now, there's folks in this room who are walking through some hard times, looking to you for salvation from difficult people and difficult circumstances, difficult things that life has thrown at them. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at this morning. I Thank you for the example of Simeon. Thank you for the example of Anna. And Holy Spirit, we are asking you now that you would take what we've learned this morning and that you would transform our hearts to be the kind of people that you want us to be. In the name of the Messiah we pray, amen.